Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way that you are a God who speaks. Lord, we should never take it for granted that you, the one who created us, actually speaks to us by the pages of the New Testament and the Old, the pages that are before us this morning. But Lord, we know that we are sinful creatures and that we often have deaf ears to your word. We pray that this would not be the case this morning, but your Holy Spirit would open our ears, open our eyes to the truths contained here so that we understand more about your marvellous promises to us so that we can be content, we can be satisfied, we can be peaceful and joyful in this world despite the sorrows that it brings. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 this morning. Uh, So I encourage you, if you've got a Black Church Bible, open it up to page 1194. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, which is uh, in the middle of a chapter that is all about different practical things that a Christian can do. We've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, and most of Hebrews is given to teaching doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ about how he is superior to all other teachings that have come before through different, uh, through different prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is a superior prophet. He is a superior priest. He is the one that is to be listened to because the book of Hebrews appears to be written to people who are thinking of abandoning Christianity and going back to Judaism. They were Jews who had converted to Christianity, but then they were experiencing persecution for being Christians. Some were even losing property, some were being put in prison, people were being insulted for being a Christian, and so as a result they were considering going back to Judaism, going back to the teachings of Moses, rather than listening to the new Moses, listening to Jesus Christ himself. And so most of Hebrews is an encouragement to people to keep trusting in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 13, some practical things are given by the author before he closes his, his sermon. Basically, he teaches you what we are in Christ, and then he teaches us how we are to live. And so previously, we looked at what it means to be loving to people. In verse 1, it says, keep on loving each other as brothers. And we saw the love that we're supposed to show to strangers, to people in prison, according to verse 2 and 3. And last week, we looked at the subject of marriage. We looked at how we are to live as people who honour marriage. And now we come to an equally interesting subject in our society, the subject of money. Uh, Marriage and sex is very interesting to humanity, and then also money is very interesting as well. And uh, some churches do speak more regularly on money than others. I can't actually remember the last time I spoke upon money. Uh, I basically speak about money when it comes up in the text, which isn't all that often uh, in comparison to what some people may think. So this morning we come to verse 5, where we are told to keep our lives, it says there in verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Here we're given a command from God. After he has told us all about Jesus Christ in chapters 1 through to practically chapter 12, he then gives us this instruction to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. Now that may sound easy to you if you don't have much, but to some of us, Uh, We struggle, indeed, with keeping our lives free from the love of money. But even poor people can struggle with keeping their lives free from the love of money. So how can you be content with what you have? How can you find contentment in this world? Well, the text actually tells you. Verse 5, look with me now. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And then in verse 6 it says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? How can you keep yourself free from the love of money and be content in this world when so many desires rage within you? It's by remembering that God has made this promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so therefore, it says in verse 6, you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? It's interesting what the Lord is teaching you there about money in verse 6 by what he says here. In verse 6 he says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's speaking here about the fear of man that's so prevalent in our hearts. He says here, I will not be afraid. What can other humans do to me if God is with me? If God never leaves me, never forsakes me. Now you may say, what connection does fear of man have to do with money? Why would he then start to talk about, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me, when he's been speaking about money? What connection does fear of man have with money? What God is teaching us here is that one of the things about money is that it's really useless in itself. It's the power that it gives us over fear of man that makes money so attractive. Money in itself is actually quite useless. It's just bits of plastic, just bits of metal, just figures on a bank statement, little bits of ink, or on a computer screen, it's just little electrons, little bits of light showing you what your bank balance is. It's actually useless in itself. What's the difference between a couple of numbers at the, on your internet uh, banking site and some numbers you put in an Excel spreadsheet? What is the difference? Well, it's what's signified by those little figures. It's what's signified by the plastic, what's signified by the metal that you carry around in your pocket. And that is ultimately power over other humans. Power over other humans. If you were on a deserted island and you had thousands of Australian dollars in a luggage uh, a suitcase that washed up on shore, would it actually be useful to you if there's no one else on the island? It would be absolutely useless. And so money is attractive to us because we believe that it will conquer our fear of man. The fears that we have of other humans hurting us, we think can be conquered by money. So if I have more money, then I won't be as afraid of people. We think that if I have more money, then I will always have food to eat, and so I'll have energy to defend myself. If I don't have something to eat, eventually my body starts to shut down and people can really hurt me. Or I think if I have enough money, I'll always have a place to stay so that I'll be protected from those who may attack me. If you live on the streets, you're very vulnerable. But if you have more money, you'll have a nice, safe place to stay. And so you won't have to be afraid of people attacking you on the street. We think if I have more money, I won't fear people who are close to me and what they think of me. I won't need to listen to my parents anymore if I have lots of money because I can just pay for my own house. I can pay for my own place and I won't need to listen to what they say. I won't have to listen to my teachers at school if I have more money. I can just quit school. I won't have to listen to friends. Uh, They'll have to put up with the things that I say because I'm the one that has all the money. I won't have to listen to my boss at work or customers 
that I crave their attention so that I can sell them things and have more money. It's interesting that apparently one of the first things that lots of people like to do when they win lottery, when they win the lotto, is quit their job. They find out at lunchtime that they've won the lottery, and what do they do? That afternoon, they quit. They think, I've got more money. I don't have to listen to anyone. I don't have to stay in this job anymore. I don't have to put up with my boss. I don't have to fear him and what he might think of my work at the end of the day. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And we have that attitude. If we have more money, we won't have to fear those that are even our friends. We consider our co-workers, the people at, at work or our parents. We won't have to fear them anymore. You won't have to fear what your spouse thinks of you anymore because, if, particularly if you've signed a nice prenuptial agreement, uh, then she or he has to put up with everything that you dish out because if they leave, well, the gravy train stops. And so if I have enough money, I won't have to fear my spouse any longer either. And I won't have to fear strangers and what they think of me, whether they're judging me for my clothes, whether they're judging me because of my car, whether they're judging me because of my house. I won't have to be afraid of what others think of me, looking down on me. And I won't fear enemies attacking me. I won't fear the tax man any longer because my highly paid accountants will make sure that I pay zero tax, that a great enemy that is formidable for so many people, the tax man, he's not a fear for me if I have more money. If I fear people suing me, I'll make sure that I have lawyers on retainer who are very formidable and no one will want to sue me. No one will want to get in a legal entanglement with me if I just have more money. I won't fear thieves or murderers because I'll live in a nice house, in a nice part of town with nice security, cameras all around, you can have a security guard at the front door. I won't have to be afraid of anyone anymore. I won't be afraid that someone will break in because I will have enough money. And I won't fear even when nations go to war. If my nation goes to war, if I've got enough money, I'll buy my way out of any sort of concern that may come upon me or I may even leave the country. Go to another country and wait till everything blows over. And if I have enough money, I won't even fear my own self. I won't fear sickness that may come to my body because... I'll be able to pay the medical expenses. Whatever happens, I'll be able to pay for top medical doctors to look after me. So I won't be afraid. And I won't have to stress or about, uh, I won't have to worry about stressing and burning out because I won't be unhappy if I have enough money. I'll have all the things that'll cheer me up. I'll be going on international holidays. Who stresses when they're at the beach sipping a Coke? Or maybe they switch to a Diet Coke because you don't want to put on weight. That may be the only stress in your life. Who stresses when they have that much money? I won't even fear my own self. And so we can easily see that money gives us relief from fear of men, even fear of our own selves. But money is not particularly good at taking away fears. Once you have money, there's no guarantee that you will keep it which means there's no guarantee against fear of man. If we have fear of man, we think money will solve it, but then we have a new fear of what happens if my money leaves me. In fact, you have a new fear if you have too much money, the fear of losing money. Because money doesn't make that promise that is made there by God in verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
Money can sprout wings and fly away, as the book of Proverbs tells us. It's always an interesting proverb for me as a kid, hearing it around the breakfast table with my father, about money sprouting wings and flying away. I had little images in my mind about a banknote with wings on it. But it's true. Money can sprout wings and fly away. Someone can steal your money. A bank can freeze your account. Governments can cause rapid inflation so that large sums are worthless. I was very interested about inflation at one point when I heard about Zimbabwe and its inflation. In 2006, in Zimbabwe, the country in Africa, $500 billion was equivalent to one US dollar. You could have $500 billion in Zimbabwe and all you really had was one US dollar. The highest note ever issued by the Zimbabwe government was $100 trillion. You could actually have a $100 trillion note. But it was worthless, really. And so you may have a million Australian dollars today, but will it really be a million Australian dollars tomorrow? What could happen to erode that value of money? Lots of things. It can easily sprout wings and fly away. And money is 100% guaranteed to desert you at death. You may be able to hang on to a lot of it in this world. You may be in a stable country, not Zimbabwe, and be able to have a million dollars, and it stays pretty much a million dollars. But at your death, money will desert you. It may even hasten your death because someone might want to kill you because you have money. One of the most interesting experiences I had in reading uh, history was reading, uh, there's a famous book by Gibbon called The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's a formidable book. It catalogues uh, lots of the factors that led to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And one factor that I saw again and again as I read this book was the thing, the thing that impressed me from this book, the takeaway message that I took from this, was that you never want to be the Roman emperor. As soon as you become the Roman emperor, someone wants to kill you. As soon as you have all that power, as soon as you have all that money, someone wants to take your life. It would be far better if you were in the Roman Empire to be in a town well away from everything that is important, have a, a nice little farm where you can self-support yourself. Don't have too much at that farm, though, that someone might want to come and rob you. Just have enough to keep yourself and your family content and you'll be okay. The worst thing you could do was have lots of money because someone would actually hasten your death. And even children would hasten the death of their parents for money as well. And that happens all too often throughout history and even today. If you have lots of money, it may hasten your death from your own children. It's a horrible thought, but it happens. And I sometimes wonder, with the prevalence of euthanasia, the popularity of euthanasia in our country, whether it may become easier in a country like ours to hasten the death of your parents. All you have to do is, when the doctor comes in the room and say, oh, when she was awake before, she was saying, I just want to die, I just want to die, I just want to die. She's asleep at the moment, but, oh, she was saying it before, she just wants to die, she just wants to die. Oh, well, we have a solution to that. We have this chemical that we can inject. And next thing you know, mum's dead, and you've got a lot of money. 
Just because you have money doesn't mean that it will never leave you, never forsake you. It may actually hasten leaving and forsaking you in the fact that you have it by speeding up your own death. Now there's a take-home message today from the sermon is remain poor so that your children won't kill you. (laughs) But we've got to remember that money is a great danger to us. The love of money is a great danger to us. It won't solve your problems. In fact, it may create new ones. And one of the big problems with money, of loving money too much, is the wrath of God for choosing money over him, for worshipping money rather than God. So the question is, how do you free yourself from the love of money? Well, it's not by avoiding money altogether. The command here is not to reject money itself. What does it say in verse 5? Keep your lives free from money? No. Keep your lives free from the love of money. How much money you have doesn't actually show how much you love money. Rich people can love money, yes, but poor people can love money too. They can be obsessed with money. How much money is in your bank account doesn't actually tell us whether you love money. And earning money, going to work each day and earning money, And being frugal in your spending, not wasting your money, is a good and godly thing to do as well. But it's about how you're going to use your money. Are you using it as an end in itself, or are you going to use your money to glorify God? And so the secret to overcoming a love of money is to trust God and his promises, which is what verse 5 and 6 are telling us. See, we have this fear of men, and we think that if I have more money... My fear of man will go away. But then we worry, what happens when I lose my money? What will happen then? But God makes this promise to us. What does he promise us? Verse 5, it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Trusting God brings a security which conquers fear of man And then that makes money less important to you. Money's not a big deal anymore because your fear of man is conquered by the knowledge that God is with you. You know that when it comes to daily necessities, God will provide. If he provides for the sparrows, he'll provide for his son or daughter. He'll make sure you have food. He'll make sure you have clothing. He'll make sure you have somewhere to stay. And if you have God, you know that he has power over the minds and bodies of your enemies, those who would attack you and hurt you. And so he can change them in a minute so that they respond well to you rather than badly. And you know that even if people kill you, God won't leave you or forsake you. He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You will go with him through death itself. And so this means that Loving money, like dishonouring marriage as we saw last week, is a way to diagnose whether you are actually a Christian or not. If you can't imagine being content with no money in your bank account, can you actually be saved? Can you be saved if you have no money? Could you actually imagine everything being stripped away and could you say, yes, I am content? If you can't say that... Doesn't that say something about your trust in the Lord? That it's not there? Or is not as it should be? If you find yourself loving money, 
then what you need to do is actually go back to earlier in Hebrews and marvel at Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. Understand what it is that God loves humanity so much that he would send his one and only son to die in your place and then start to worship him. Jesus says you cannot love both God and money. You have to choose. And Jesus is a far superior choice because he is the one who said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and can truly conquer your fear of man. So if you find yourself, as I've been preaching this morning, that there is a love of money in yourself, repent of it now. Repent and trust that Jesus Christ pays for all your sins, including your worship of money, your love of money in the past. And then I invite you to enjoy a peace that pagans do not know, that those who worship money never know, a peace that transcends all the understanding that we often have in our hearts, a peace that comes to us knowing that we have a God who is with us at all times, never leave us, never forsake us. This goes for all of us in the room, including children. Children, as you grow up, you will find that money is very, very attractive. I know because I've been there. It is very attractive. But it can leave you and forsake you. I encourage you to listen to the promises of God that he will never leave you, never forsake you if you trust in him. And so you can claim the many promises in Scripture that talk about how God will remain with his people God said to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, he said to Jacob, and he says it to you today, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Money never makes that promise to you, but God makes that promise. God said to Joshua and to you today, if you trust in him, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God said in Psalm 91 about those who love him, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. Money doesn't make that promise. And then he continues, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. God said to Israel and to you today as well in Isaiah 41, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. And then in Isaiah 43, God says again, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. In Isaiah 54, God says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Mountains may be shaken, but God won't be shaken. He will always be with you. He is the one who has compassion on you. In Jeremiah 29, another promise that God makes to you. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus speaks about the wonderful promise that the Spirit will be with us always. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, wherever you go, the Holy Spirit is in you. Sometimes you walk out of the house without your wallet, without your credit card. You have no power that day if you don't have money. Can't even catch a bus, unless the bus driver is friendly enough to you. Wherever you go, if you're a child of God, the Spirit goes with you, which means you draw on resources throughout the day. And Jesus goes with you as well. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples and to you today, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is always with you. So how could you fear man and then love money in the face of such promises? From God, your saviour. Money never makes promises like these. Yet so many people hunger after it, spend their whole lives chasing it when it never makes such promises. Whereas wherever you go, your heavenly Father with unlimited resources at his hand goes with you too. Who needs a large Swiss bank account when you have God as your Father and he has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these marvellous promises from your word, that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And so we can keep ourselves free from the love of money. We can actually know contentment in this world because we do not have to be afraid of man and think that money will solve our problems. We can go about our days with a peace because we know that you are with us at all times. So, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for setting our hearts on money. Cleanse us for that sin in Jesus Christ. But, Lord, we pray that you would continue to cultivate in our hearts a love for you. And if anyone here today, O Lord, is still struggling with the love of money, is still worshipping money instead of you, humble them this morning, convict them of their sin, give them fresh fears about the fleeting nature of money and may they instead come to you the rock and stand firmly on you by faith in Christ for the first time this morning and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.